0: hear that it's the sound of someone whacking the ground with a rake specifically they're beating around the bush which we've done enough of in this ad too so let's get right to it the new moneymaker scratch off from the ohio lottery doesn't beat around the bush money maker play the game and you could win money up to two million dollars with more than 88 million in prizes ranging from 50 to 500 dollars. moneymaker cuts right to the cash lottery players are subject to ohio laws and commission regulations play responsibly
1: this paid podcast was produced by Slate Studios in partnership with Spotify Studios. Today's episode of Showstopper is presented by Ball in the Family, an all-new show only on Facebook Watch. Head to facebook.com slash Family to catch up and watch new episodes every Sunday.
0: These stories were just so insane. I mean, these guys were more gnarly than any motley crew rock and roll people i've ever heard of i mean they're actually like going to jail for murder and all kinds of craziness and i just love the music
1: from spotify studios this is showstopper the podcast that takes you inside the playlist of your favorite tv shows and films i'm your host xavier jernigan head of shows and editorial for north america at spotify Today we're talking about Tales from the Tour Bus with the show's creator, Mike Judge. He's the guy who gave us Beavis and Butthead, King of the Hill, and Silicon Valley. Tales from the Tour Bus is an animated documentary series on Cinemax that recounts country music's most outrageous backstage stories. Each episode digs into one of Outlaw Country's most infamous, from Johnny Paycheck and Waylon Jennings to George Jones and Tammy Wynette. As they crisscrossed America, their lives on and off stage intertwined. Sometimes they wrote songs together, other times they tried to kill each other. It's the bandmates, wives, and roadies who live to tell their tales from the road.
0: Yeah, people really opened up to us. Maybe because it's a cartoon. They,
1: <laughs> they think uh,
0: no one will no get in trouble.
1: He interviewed people on video, then animated them over top.
0: I mean, I've had some people that, you know, didn't like the way they were drawn, (laughs) but I can't blame them. You know, we have that
1: disclaimer at the beginning, but we're not making anything up. The following show was about real people and events. However, due to the passage of time, and in some cases, indulgence in both controlled and illicit substances, details of some tales are a bit hazy.
0: Everything is a story somebody told us. I mean, a lot of these old rednecks that age are really into Beavis and Butthead, so I think they felt comfortable telling stories to me that they might not have to uh, somebody who's coming in like a very polite person or something.
1: Before he became an animator, Mike was a professional musician playing in the Austin blues scene.
0: I know what it's like to be a traveling musician, and I know that there's just always stories, um, especially back then, uh seemed pretty lawless i played upright bass mostly i played with uh it was a duo sam myers and anson funderberg he would played drums with elmore james and wrote a couple songs like that eric clapton had done like sleeping in the ground and so he was he was the real deal
1: music continued to inform his work once he switched to animation from beavis and butthead ripping on music videos to tammy Wynette playing hank's mom on king of the hill while making his cult classic office space Mike had country legend Johnny Paycheck on the brain. I was going
0: to put Take This Job and Shove It. It was going to go on the end credits. I mean, it's a great song. It's just, it's got such a great feel to it. Um, But we just couldn't get the rights to it and ended up doing this other song called Shove This J-O-B or something like that. Um, I'd kind of been going through a Johnny Paycheck phase then, and including listening to some of his really old stuff and just started hearing stories about him from musician people that I know. And, So Rich Mullins, who started the idea of doing a Johnny Paycheck documentary with me, he said, yeah, I found these guys, the Adams brothers, that grew up with them. And I said, wait, you mean like Don Adams and Gary and the guys who played on that George Jones Live at Dance Land USA, like where those guys are around? Where do they live? He said, they're in Ohio. And I said, okay, here, I'll fly you to Greenfield. And let me just see what they're like. And he interviewed them and it was just hilarious and amazing. I think I kind of took the tone of this from those guys which was my first interview which is they love george jones they love johnny paycheck they also make fun of them just the way you would your brother
1: your family your friends the series opens with an animated mike judge sitting in a cartoon tour bus he breaks down the similarities between hip-hop and country
0: i think there's been a lot more in common with country and just traditional american black music whether it's r&b or hip-hop more more than people think i mean i used to think i was the only one that liked both those things i remember ice t saying in an interview that he like talking about the similarities between country and rap people he said you know they show up to the grammys in their jeans and they you know johnny cash said i shot a man in reno just to watch him die he said if i said that i'd never get away with it
1: while the bad boys of rock punk and rap get celebrated the equally wild history of country music remained untold
0: i thought you know PBS did these, like the blues series and the jazz series, and no one's really done a country series in the way that, I mean, a lot of the stuff that's been on the country music channel over the years, it's all very polite. And uh, now there's country songs about drinking again. There was a long time where there wasn't. It was just country got very polite in the 80s and through the 90s. It wasn't until, until the aughts that it started getting back to drinking songs
1: experimentation in the 70s musical and otherwise led to some interesting results
0: country music had been porter wagner these kind of people with the nudie suits and the slicked back hair and then suddenly it was this new thing that was sort of it looked like rock and roll but sounded like this great country and all this crazy stuff from the hippies started occasionally becoming hits and then the rolling stones started doing country The Beatles did a Buck Owens song. The Rolling Stones did a couple country songs and recorded in Muscle Shoals. and, And so all these people who really were country started going, well,
1: let's try to play it our way more. In 1972, Willie Nelson was fed up with the Nashville machine. Intent on retiring, he moved to Austin. There he found a melting pot of counterculture where hippies, bikers, and cowboys collided. This reinvigorated his spirit.
0: A lot of people talk about tolerance, and Austin, the tolerance goes both ways. The hippies would tolerate the rednecks, and I think that kind of ushered in, well, what what became the outlaw movement. So they were outlaws within the record industry, and then a lot of them also happened to be real outlaws with the law.
1: Once he got to Austin, Willie told Waylon Jennings to come join the scene. Together, they created an album called Honky Tonk Heroes. Free from the influence of Nashville record execs and emboldened by his newfound fan base, Waylon started recording his own musical instincts, unleashing his signature style on the world of country music.
0: He had that whole thing about putting the emphasis on one and three instead of two and four, so, you know, it's that real driving on on all those songs like um, Don't Think Hank Done It This Way, Ramblin' Man. You know, they had a very unique sound that wasn't going to come out of the typical bring somebody in and here's Nashville with the same choir and the same strings and everything behind it. It was just way more raw what these guys were doing. And it was always so safe. And these guys did something a little more weird and risky, which was sort of unheard of in country.
1: One episode features Billy Joe Shaver, one of the greatest living songwriters around. He sat down with Mike for an interview.
0: Honky Tonk Heroes album, that Waylon album, I just loved. And Billy Joe had written just about every song on it. I think every song except we had it all, he either wrote or co-wrote.
1: Honky Tonk Heroes was a major milestone, but Waylon almost didn't let Billy in the studio. He even tried to pay him to leave.
0: Yeah, there's that story about how Waylon had handed $100 to, I think it was either, uh, I think it was Jigger, and said, tell him to get the fuck out of the studio. And he said, "Jeez," threw it in his face, said, tell him to shove it up his ass, and He sort of bullied his way in. He just wouldn't leave the studio.
1: Billy was dead set on convincing Waylon to record his songs. So he tells Waylon,
0: I'm going to whoop your ass in front of God and everybody if you don't listen to my songs. And Waylon had already liked his songs or one of them. Yeah. yeah. And then Waylon said, okay, I'm going to let you play one song. If I like it, I'll hear another one. If I like that, I'll hear another one. If I don't like any of them, you're gone. I don't want to ever see you again. And they agreed to that, and then it just one song after another. And uh, yeah, Waylon just said, oh, okay, damn it, <laughs> I got to do this. And yeah, they an entire album, except for one song of, of Billy Joe Shaver songs, and that was a huge kind of landmark record, you know. That album in its time got attention of people who wouldn't listen to country normally. I mean, if you listen to other stuff at that time, like, you know, Nashville would just put this horrible chorus of people instead of, there's two part harmonies on it, which I love. There's, there's not just a, you know, they're not trying to get some wall of sound. It's just five people playing and singing. It's actually a band. It's not like bringing in a singer and going and, you know, I mean, Waylon's playing guitar on it. You know, it's Richie and Jigger. It's, it's that band and they have that sound. And I think they had been playing together for a long time and on the road. So it wasn't like it's its own organic thing. And I've, I've noticed it when you're scoring something that if the musicians are all too slick, it just sounds like background music for a commercial or for something cheesy. And when, when you have these guys or these just, you know, roadhog musicians have been out there doing it in front of a crowd and you just get something fresh. And that album really had
1: that. With that, Outlaw Country was certified by fans in the industry.
0: It seems to have made record companies go, okay, maybe we should let these people record their own way with their
1: own band. One of Billy's biggest songs is old five and dimers like me. He wrote it for Waylon, and then it was later covered by Willie Nelson.
0: I don't know, that, those lyrics, you know, are, it's it's uh, it's a little less straightforward than most country music, you know, but not so much that it sounds like he's, you know, making hippie music or something. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. It's kind of similar to uh, Honky Tonk Heroes, really, you know, just seems to me recognizing that he is what he is and it's probably not going to change. I think he would have kept doing it, whether he was successful at it or not. It's just something that seems to just come out of him and he loves doing so. To me, like a really good song, it's like a miracle. You don't seem to know where it comes from or if it seems like it came from somewhere or somebody formulated it through rational thoughts, then it's probably not a very good song. I know it's funny, when I've talked to Billy about Waylon and, you know, he always sort of says this, like, I like Waylon. People think I don't like him. I like Waylon. He was all right. But normally you would just, if there wasn't something there, you'd you'd go, I love (laughs) Waylon. So I think there was always some kind of weird rivalry with those. I mean, I think they both, you know, were probably annoying the hell out of each other all the time. But, uh, but got along.
1: After Honky Tonk Heroes proved to be a success, Waylon recorded, Are You Sure Hank Done It This Way?
0: That's when he was starting to just insist on doing things his own way. And that was sort of a comment on what Nashville had become since Hank Williams had started. Because I think Hank Williams recorded with his band in the studio. He was doing his thing. And, you know, I think that was his way of, Waylon's way of saying, this isn't what Hank would have wanted.
1: Together, Willie and Waylon kept pushing the boundaries of conservative country music. In 1975, they released their outlaw duet, Good-Hearted Woman.
0: Yeah, I think that song kind of made it okay to have a husband who was out of control or something. It was sort of like an updated Stand By Your Man, maybe, but a little more sympathizing with the woman. I just remember that song like that. That was again, it's like one of these things like take take this job and shove it. That There's just sort of this part of the country that just doesn't get spoken too much, I guess. And that song had that same feel
1: during the Waylon Jennings episode. There's a story set at the height of his cocaine addiction. He'd worked out a system for buying drugs on the road using the U.S. Postal Service as his bagman. The DEA picked up the trail and followed it back to a studio, where a quick-thinking sound engineer gave Waylon a heads-up.
0: That's just an amazing story. I mean, he, puts, he casually leans his hand on the talkback so that Waylon, who's in the studio, can hear what the DEA guys or FBI, whoever they were, are saying. And it's, yeah, he just went in and adjusted the mic, tucked the coke into his pants, waited for a break to go to the bathroom, and flushed it. It's pretty amazing.
1: When Waylon released Lukenbach, Texas, it went straight to number one and stayed there for months. He wrote it to honor his heroes.
0: I I love his name checking. Bob Wills is still the king. Um, Yeah, Mickey Newberry, all those people. I think those were just his favorite, favorite people. Like he made the list, (laughs) All this is a soundtrack to my youth. And uh, like I say, just hearing Richie play drums and it's like, oh, that's the guy. uh, It's just that sound.
1: We're going to take a quick break. Calling all snack connoisseurs. This sponsorship is for you. If you're an artisanal meat and cheese lover, look no further than Hillshire Snacking Small Plates. Take your favorite bites on the go. Prosciutto and cheddar cheese, Spice salami and gouda cheese. You get the picture. Hillshire Snacking Small Plates, a snack above. Find your perfect pairing at hillshiresnacking.com. Now back to the show. In the early 1960s, Donnie Young was a clean-cut sideman to George Jones and Porter Wagoner playing bass in Nashville. As an audacious car thief, he earned the nickname Hubcap Donnie and had the gall to steal Patsy Cline's car, his boss at the time. So in 1963, he legally changed his name to Johnny Paycheck and started embracing his outlaw nature. Cut to 1977. Now he's writing Bitch Seat with the Hells Angels as country music's foremost hellraiser, And his song, Take This Job and Shove It, has captivated a nation full of frustrated people.
0: You know, I remember when I I was a kid, you just heard it all the time. And it it was around the recession and just a lot of, you know, working people that were pissed off about just inflation
1: and trying to get by. And it just felt right at that time for people. It all came to a head in 1978 in West Virginia. A violent coal miner strike was boiling over. Two people had been shot on the picket line, and state troopers were called in. So the governor asked Paycheck to come down for moral support. Of course he ended up getting right in the middle of things.
0: There was a standoff between them and the, and the police or the feds. Um, yeah, and apparently he just got out in front of them and started singing, take this job and shove it. And they all went crazy and it sort of, I guess helped diffuse the situation. You know, gave them a voice, like a lot, a lot of, uh, you know, I think there's always that feeling that the, a lot of the people in the media don't speak for the working people, that they're all up in the, you know, Ivory Tower or whatever. And uh, that was one of those moments that that song just really felt right to a lot of people.
1: With hit records, legions of fans, and the protection of the Hells Angels, Paycheck felt untouchable until...
0: He had shot a guy in a bar (laughs) over turtle soup.
1: The guy lived, Paycheck pled innocent, but his public persona didn't help.
0: That was sort of used against him in the trial. Like, he's trying to say he's this upright, peaceful citizen, and that album had just come out called Armed and Crazy. (laughs) Yeah, that didn't help. (laughs)
1: Mike talked to Paycheck's bandmate and lifelong friend Gary Adams about the scene in the courtroom.
0: I mean, he went to the trial with him, saw him get sentenced, and Gary's just laughing. Everything's funny to him. He's here, are the guy's about to go to jail for years, and Gary's telling the story, just laughing. He said, like, "Yeah, he said I'll be out in two weeks." Ha ha ha! <laughs> you know, it's just—it's just amazing to me. Everything is just absurd and funny to these guys.
1: Gary Adams and his brothers played with everyone, and they have a lot of stories.
0: We're talking about George Jones going into rehab, and, and he's saying, You know, said one of the things they did is they, they give you an IQ test. Is that how'd he do? He got a 62. Ha <laughs> <laughs> ha. <laughs> <laughs> laughing about that. Everything's, it's, I don't know, it, it was really fun interviewing those guys.
1: For years, Mike has wanted to make something about George Jones. Frank Sinatra called Jones the second greatest singer in the world.
0: Many years ago, it was around 2000, I wanted to do a movie about George Jones, and I actually met with him a few times. When he finally warmed up to me, though, he was at his house. I don't know. Somehow he decided I was okay, and um, he actually took me downstairs in his basement and showed me all these pictures I'd never seen before. Ray Charles had just died, and he was... I guess he was kind of close with Ray Charles. He had recorded with him.
1: In this series... Mike wanted to show a different side of the man they called Mister Country Music, so he featured a rare unplugged version of George's hit song, "Take
0: Me." It's really hard to find footage of George Jones, just him and his guitar, because there's usually just this overproduced track behind him, and sometimes it's good and sometimes it's not. But you know, I think if you can hear him like that, you can go, "Wow, this is this is really great." You know, this is this guy was had an amazing voice, and so I think. I think you got to kind of see it in the right setting. I was sort of ho- hoping to do that a little bit with this, like present it in a way that people might change their minds about it. Yeah, his voice is just so great. It, I think that enabled him to get away with a lot, you know? I like when Gary Adams is, uh, is talking about, you know, just no better teacher and his amazing voice, no one could match him, but he was such a prick when it came out. Know?
1: Of course we can't talk about George without Tammy Wynette, his wife who stood by him through most of it.
0: He had been sober for a while. There was no alcohol in the house. You know, they lived far enough away that you would have to drive to a liquor store. George wasn't about to walk in the heat. And um, so she had taken all the keys and just, and hid them. And so when she wasn't looking, he went and got on a riding lawnmower and, and went to the liquor store. He didn't He didn't even turn the blade off. So that's, it's just spewing rocks all over the place (laughs) yeah he went to the and then they took the lawnmower keys and then he got a horse and went to the liquor store the next time (laughs) yeah i think ultimately you know those two were really in love and uh you know he was just a just a bit of a maniac
1: stand by your man was tammy's most successful song it crossed over and became a pop hit cementing her superstar status It's been covered by everyone from Patti Page to Wendy O. Williams and Lemmy from Motorhead.
0: It's such a great song, and yeah, she wrote that. Yeah, it did did appear to be that it could be about George. I mean, for for sure, she she stood by him through a lot, and then ultimately, the last straw was him pulling a gun out and shooting up the house, which I think he denies, but no, there's no way that didn't happen.
1: After dozens of hit songs together, the first couple of country music split. Fans felt betrayed. They blamed Tammy for not standing by long enough.
0: Yeah, she got a lot of death threats and a lot of weird things happened um, that were probably related to that. And, uh, you know, I mean, back then it was... I think people didn't know a lot of the facts and just, you know, blamed her probably. Um, But... uh, You know, she went on to have a good career, and then they started recording together again, Um, and they seemed to be able to get along when they, you know, like, there's these clips of them doing, there's one of them doing Golden Ring, we used a little bit of it, where it just, I mean, it looks like they're just flirting with each other on camera. I mean, that's one of those great, you know, sad songs about divorce that kind of sums up their whole... That kind of sums up their whole story, really. I love that uh, the entire clip of that performance that we used is just really great.
1: They're, you can also just see them kind of, you can see the the spark still there. Every tour bus has got its share of tales. And Mike is on the hunt for more stories.
0: I had a guy who he's a works as a waiter at a place I go to, and his his cousin is a big uh, Latino pop star singer. And you saying, no, oh, you got to do one about... You know the Latin singer world, and <laughs> I thought, wow, yeah, there's a lot of stuff.
1: The stories and the music endure, and the series brought Mike back to his own record collection.
0: Since doing this, I've I've been just re-listening to all that stuff again, and it's, it sounds really fresh now. I don't know. I, I love this music. I'm I also love these stories and just these people calling him out for being scoundrels and you know fuck ups and. <laughs> it's just that's what's the funny part of it
1: thank you for listening to showstopper to hear the music featured in this episode and more check out the country icons playlist only on spotify showstopper is produced by spotify studios in collaboration with slate studios with production by fanny co our producers are fanny cohen and morgan hecht special thanks to natalie teller Leah Campbell Sharon Wong and Michelle Siegel our theme song is produced by my homie Prince Maestro from Spotify I'm Xavier Jernigan keep listening Today's episode of Showstopper is presented by the Army National Guard. Discover how you can make a difference in your community and country by visiting GoArmy.com slash and discover more episodes of Showstopper only on Spotify.